Can you hear me? Yes? Good morning. I won't give you the exact number, but uh, I would not recommend you drive that through a school zone. Acts chapter 20. For those that are visiting among us, we have been taking a tour through the book of Acts. And as we have been going, we have been uh, studying the epistles as they were written in time in the book of Acts. And we have now come to another epistle. By the way, I'm not a big fan of uh, all these theological words. Uh, what's an epistle? It's just a letter. That's right. Yeah. So we're going to look at another letter written by the Apostle Paul this morning. I'm talking to a brother just a couple of weeks ago. We overuse the word minister and ministry, I think. I really wish that the translators had chosen just the simple words that they really mean servant and service in the New Testament. Because too often people read those passages and get the idea of a guy with a backward collar and that they only apply to him. So we're going to look at uh, the book of Romans this morning. But before you turn there, let's get the setting. It's in Acts chapter 20. And you remember we studied this last week. After the big uh, hullabaloo in the town of Ephesus, you remember, Paul left and headed over to Greece. And it says in verse 2, Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. There's the book of Romans right there. One of the most significant events in the, Paul, in the life of Paul, you'd never know it reading the book of Acts, but that is where he wrote the letter to the Romans. Uh, and it's wonderful when you study the Bible to see how things tie together, isn't it? And we can see the setting of the book, or the letter or the epistle, uh, in the book of Acts and then see corresponding events as they're mentioned in the letter to the Romans. For example, back here in chapter 19, if you remember, uh, verse 20, um, Paul had said, pardon me, verse 21, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And you see this uh, urge, this great desire of Paul's to visit that great capital city of the empire very soon and it comes out in the letter as we'll see it but it's neat to see it being formed right here in the book of acts in fact when you read this you wonder okay so what you know, when you read it in acts well it's an indicator that paul is getting so ready to see them that he he can't control himself anymore he's going to sit down and he's going to write him a letter another thing uh, that will be a clue for us when we look at the book of romans is we know that paul is about to bring a letter uh, pardon me a gift to the saints at Jerusalem, to the poor saints at Jerusalem. We don't see that so much in the book of Acts, but we did see it where? Who remembers? Where's Noad here? Oh boy, Noad would know. It's mentioned in both letters to the church at Corinth. Remember? Remember that? When Noad preached to the... I see some... Boy, you guys are sleepy this morning here. <laughs> Remember both letters to the uh, church at Corinth. Paul mentioned the gift. In the first one, in a general way, and in the second letter, if you remember, he uh, reprimanded them because they had said, yeah, we're going to give a big gift. You know, Paul, we're going to be up there with the greatest. 
but they hadn't put their money where their mouth was. And so he rebuked them and said, uh, you know, make sure it's ready when I come by. Now, he's going to talk about that gift in the book of Romans, another key to its setting. Also, the uh, concerted effort of the Jews to get Paul is really coming to a head here. We uh, saw it here, in fact, in chapter 20, verse 3, last week. He stayed there three months in Greece, he tells us. Then he says, when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. The threat was so serious, apparently they had the boats covered. And if Paul had gone on the ship, they had plans to kill him. And so rather than take the sea route to Syria, he went back up through uh, Troas and down that way. We're going to see that also in the book of Romans. And in fact, now throughout the rest of the book of Acts, this threat is going to increase and increase until finally it's going to result, as you know, in Paul's imprisonment in Rome for the sake of the gospel. So, uh, Lord willing, we'll take two weeks on the book of Romans. Turn there now. And I'm going to begin at the end of it, often the place that we kind of skip over when we read a letter. And unfortunately, we miss a lot of blessings when we do that. There are wonderful little nuggets, even in the very end, the greeting section and the, and the closing remarks of the epistles. And it's here where we will find some of the clues that tie in with some of the things we just mentioned to show the setting. Chapter 15 of Romans. Um, Let's look at verse uh, 23, and we'll just read through the end of the chapter here and uh, listen to how many clues you have here that tie in what we, with what we've said already. Paul, writing to the saints at Rome, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. Of course, he didn't do that. He stopped in Rome and uh, was a prisoner there, a house prisoner. Although it's believed that uh, after he was released, before his final imprisonment, he did actually uh, make it to Spain and preach the gospel. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Did you see the tie-ins there? He mentioned the gift. He talked about the opposition of the Jews, and he talked about his strong desire now to see them, in fact, his plan to visit them on his next uh, missionary circuit. Okay, um, there are actually some more clues here at the end of the book that set the book for us. In uh, chapter 16, he begins with his uh, greeting section with this. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sincrea, 
that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Now, do you know what the clue is there? Anybody know where St. Crea is? St. Crea is actually the sister city of Corinth. In fact, there, it's kind of like St. Paul and um, what's the other? Minneapolis, Minnesota, the Twin Cities. So uh, he's in Corinth, and in fact, we believe it's Phoebe who actually carried the letter that Paul uh, dictated to the believers in Rome. So here he is in St. Crea, or Corinth, which is what we said when he stayed in Greece, he stayed in Corinth. So here's a sister from where he uh, is actually writing at this moment. A further clue is down in verse 23 where he says, Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church greets you. Well, we know from 1 Corinthians that Gaius was a prominent figure in the church at Corinth. So this is most likely the same Gaius. Are you convinced? The letter was written from Corinth while Paul was staying in Greece those three months in Acts chapter 20, verse 3. And uh, we'll go ahead and finish off this greeting section because... It's a good introduction to the letter, even though it's at the end, because it really restates the wonderful, marvelous theme of the entire letter, beginning in verse 25 of chapter 16. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now has been made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. I hope you appreciate the magnitude of those words. Paul's talking about the gospel, and how did he describe it? He said it this way. He said, it's the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now has been revealed. Can you imagine if somebody came out with a product like that and advertised that way? Man, everybody would say, I want one of those, you know. This is incredible. Talking about this wonderful message, by which, by the way, we are saved. Praise God. By which, when we believe it, we can know we have eternal life right now. The gospel of God. Paul is saying, it was kept a secret by God himself since the very beginning of creation. It was hidden in him all that time. He knew about it, but nobody else did. And it wasn't until his son had finished the work on the cross, was raised from the dead, and ascended on high, that now the secret can be made known. Let's not keep it a secret now, brothers and sisters. By the writing of this letter, most of the people in the world, whether Jew gentile or otherwise believed that the way to god was through doing some kind of good works weren't they and that's still true today isn't it even though the secret has been let out to this very day and i'm talking about so-called christian churches the vast majority of people in the world whether professing christian muslim hindu buddhist i don't care what stripe they believe that they must do something, some form of good work or labor to get to God. Isn't that sad? When Jesus Christ has done the work completely in full, and now all that's left is to trust in him. That's, that's why it's called the gospel, 
meaning good news. Praise God, huh? Let me hear some amens. <laughs> Man, that's the greatest message that is, can ever be told. And so Paul concludes his letter talking about this wonderful message because he spent most of the letter talking about it in its entirety. So let's turn back now to the beginning of the letter to the Romans. And he begins the same way he ends the letter, introducing his subject. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to, notice, the gospel of God. There it is. Which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So again, he's, he's introducing the subject and he's going to uh, give us a tour through that wonderful message as we study here this morning. Notice verse 7. Now, of course, remember, we only have a couple of weeks to go through 16 chapters of fairly, uh, I use the word thick, dense uh, scripture. You, you can take a phrase in here and meditate on it for weeks. It's a, it's a very dense epistle like, like Ephesians. So we cannot go verse by verse. We're going to have to just touch the highlights and look at a verse here and there. But verse 7, I like, he says, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. I don't know if you know this. I think a lot of Christians think that um, when Paul wrote the letters to Philippi and to uh, Corinth and Thessalonica and uh, Ephesus, that he wrote to a single church. That's not true. In fact, there are only two of the uh, letters that he really wrote, or actually four, they come in pairs, to a church in a city. Notice he didn't say the church in Rome, did he? Did you, did you pick that up? In fact, there was more than one church in Rome. If we'd looked in chapter uh, 16 earlier, we would have seen, for example, our friends uh, Aquila and Priscilla mentioned. And he goes on to say, uh, they're in Rome, by the way. And so when he writes the letter, he says, greet them for me and the church that is in their house. Isn't that cool? There was a church in their house. How many here remember meeting in a house, brothers and sisters, when we first started? Yeah, some of you old timers. A church is not a building. A church is people who are saved. Okay. <laughs> Within this building, there is a church. The old, the old, see if I can do it. No, I, I messed it up last time. Let me see if I can do it. The old saying, here's the church and here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. That's wrong. Here's the chapel and here's the steeple. Open the doors and see the church. That's right. The church is the saints, the believers in Christ. And uh, later in chapter 16, he mentions several other people where he says, uh, greet so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and all that are with them, apparently implying that there were churches meeting in their homes as well. So there were probably at least three local churches in Rome that Paul greeted there in that last chapter. So this is not to the church at Rome. It's to the saints, the believers. And he expected the letter, therefore, to be circulated throughout the churches there. In uh, 11 through 13, we see again his great desire to see them right now, as we saw it back in Acts chapter 19. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. 
that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. The mind wanders here. I, I thought about this a little bit. You know, Paul had not been to Rome. It was the capital city, the, the great metropolitan capital of the Roman Empire. And uh, you see the list of people he greeted. By then, he had come to know so many dear uh, brothers and sisters who had co-labored with him in the gospel who were from Rome. There was a great work of God in the city of Rome, and he had not been there. You can imagine, Paul longed so much to personally go there and meet these saints and encourage them. And then uh, half of his greetings at the end are greeting the, the believers that he had come to know from Rome. The other half is so-and-so sends greetings and so-and-so sends greetings. He was at that time with many believers who either, either were from Rome or knew people at Rome. So I can just see Paul dying to get there and uh, serve the saints in some way. Okay, well, uh, he's going to begin now the subject that he's introduced, the gospel. And uh, properly, the gospel means good news. But if we're going to start from scratch with someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ, you don't begin with the good news, do you? You have to begin with the bad news. Because the good news is meant to address the bad news. And typically, when we don't know the Lord, I was like this, we don't want to believe the bad news. That is that I'm a sinner headed for hell. And so Paul begins that way in his exposition of the gospel. Uh, before he begins, which is verse 18, he has uh, a wonderful couple of statements about the gospel itself. First of all, he says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Oh, I am so glad it says everyone, aren't you? Wow, that means me, and that means you. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Praise God. I, I can't uh, control my excitement, I'm sorry, but think about this message. What is he saying here? He says there is this message called the gospel, which when believed, translates someone from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. From that point on, they are going to heaven by simply believing this message. And if you're here this morning and you've believed that, praise God, it's that simple. For 24 years, I labored under the misapprehension that I had to do something. And I began to realize I couldn't do it. Praise God, he's already done it all. The power of God is salvation. And then 17, this is a nice summary statement of the gospel. He says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's a wonderful, wonderful summary of the gospel. You say, well, why doesn't it talk about the death of Jesus? Or he's, he's looking at it from a higher plane. And, and in fact, you're going to see the righteousness of God uh, is a common theme throughout the uh, book of Romans. The righteousness of God. If you think about it, I don't know if you were like me. Before I became a Christian, my idea of getting to heaven was something like, you know, God puts the good on this side and the bad on that side. And, well, I'm basically a good guy. So certainly, hopefully, the good stuff is going to be more than the bad stuff and I'll get to heaven, right? It, that's probably 
I would think even among Christians, uh, professing Christians, excuse me, the, the way most people think. The problem is that does terrible uh, violation to the righteousness of God. It may, in fact, it makes him a liar. Because God has said over and over in the Bible, the soul that sins shall what? That's right. Die. The penalty is death. And he tells us that is a second death in Revelation. Hell forever. That's the penalty for sin. Now, I don't care how you slice it, whether it's putting the good on one side and the bad on the other, or just sweeping the bad under the carpet, or God winking and looking the other way, or the classic, well, he knows we're but dust and he understands, you know. There are all kind of ways to somehow think that God can just forget the, the sin. And it ruins the righteousness of God. It makes him a liar. And so Paul is stressing here that the gospel, God's way, does not violate the righteousness of God. In fact, it preserves it. In fact, it stands forth in all its glory. That's the only way, in fact, that satisfies the righteousness of God is the cross of Christ. How can we say that? Because look at the cross. There he is, God's son, with all your sin and all my sin upon him, being judged for that sin by God. The righteousness of God being satisfied. Not winking or turning the other way. But God the Son writhing in agony under the justice of God, satisfying the righteousness of God. That's the message. That's the only message that can satisfy the righteousness of God. But then, so that's one part of the righteousness of God being revealed in the gospel. But the other part is, it's revealed this way. When we trust in that work, that Christ did with both hands holding on to nothing else but the cross of Christ and saying, Lord Jesus, I abandon all other hope, but what you did for me, God gives us what? His righteousness. That's the other way it's revealed. We, look, we're not just going to heaven. We have the righteousness of God. Do you understand the difference? Woo! That's incredible. I have the righteousness of God? Yes, that's part of the gospel. Believing on Jesus Christ, God gives us his own righteousness. So it's a wonderful way to summarize the gospel of Christ. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Okay, um, I'm assuming you know the gospel, by the way. If this is foreign to you this morning, then the, the chances are you probably don't know Jesus Christ because this is how a person is saved. If you don't understand this, please ask me afterwards or one of the brothers about what this is all about. We're not talking about buying a good insurance policy or a better car here. We're talking about eternity here this morning. You couldn't hear about anything more important this morning than your eternal destiny. And it's all wrapped up in what you do with Jesus Christ and this message of the gospel. As I said, it begins the bad news here. In uh, chapter 1, verse 18, we can't go verse by verse. But in 18 through 32, he really has kind of a general condemnation of all mankind. And um, I wish we had time. The book of Romans is a great book to study and look for repetition, not only of words, but of phrases. It really opens up little uh, closed doors behind which there are nuggets hidden. For example, in the section I just mentioned, he repeats the phrase uh, about us, mankind, they changed or exchanged 
something for something else three times. First, we exchanged um, in uh, verse 23, the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. You know, you wonder if Paul still didn't have in his mind the riot at Ephesus. Remember, we talked about it last week, idolatry. And remember that idiotic chant where they went two hours. Can you imagine two hours chanting over and over and over again, great is Diana of the Ephesians, their idol, as if somehow repeating it would make it so. And one wonders as he, as he goes to this, if he didn't at that time remember that experience there at Ephesus. So that's the first trade. Um, next, verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Let me tell you, every one of these exchanges is a bad deal. Okay? <laughs> We're getting gypped big time on every one of these. But the point is, we make the exchange willingly. We talked about idolatry last week. I'm not going to go through it again. But idolatry is just as prevalent today in this society as it was then. You don't have carved images of wood, uh, stone, and uh, metal. But in every heart, apart from Christ, people have set up a God of their own making. He's a convenient God. He's a harmless God. They may begin with the God of the Bible, but they fashion him with their hands so that when they're done, he's a God that they're quite content with. And they hear that God telling them, you just do whatever you want. You have a good time. And I sanction it. Isn't that right? Yeah. So it's still true today. We make the exchange. And then finally, uh, in uh, 26 through 28, he talks about the exchange that homosexuals make in uh, trading the natural use of the body for the unnatural. It's a downward descent that Paul traces through the history of mankind in moving away from God, making the most idiotic exchanges until uh, they are deep in degradation. The interesting thing about it is I said that it repeats the phrase exchanged or changed three times. After each one, he repeats the same phrase also. And you know what it is? It's this, God gave them up or God gave them over. And that's a scary phrase. If you want to learn anything from this passage, it's that be careful when you trade away the light that God has given you in exchange for something cheaper. Because he may just cut that light off then. And that's what he's saying happened here. Every time they voluntarily, we voluntarily exchange the light of God for something else, he gave them over, gave them up. He said, okay, you want your sin? There you go. Have fun. Roll in it. Well, um, he begins uh, the good news, actually, in uh, chapter 3. But before we get there, I want to talk about something. I think many of you have probably heard about something called the Romans Road. Anybody here heard of the Romans Road? Yeah, okay, that's interesting. I think the average age is about 40 there. Yeah. It's, it, I haven't heard about it much too much lately. The Romans Road is uh, a way of sharing the gospel through the book of Romans. If you're going to choose a book to use in sharing the gospel with an unsaved person, what better book, right? Than the letter, the book about the gospel of God. And so um, people who do that often refer to that way of doing it, that is just using the book of Romans, as the Roman road. Probably because the Romans were famous for the roads. 
the Appian Way, right out of Rome, being one of the most famous. Now, let me hasten to say that there is not just one Roman's road. In fact, I checked the internet while I was preparing, and it seems that there are just as many Roman roads as there are internet sites devoted to the subject. Uh, there are many ways of sharing the gospel in the book of Romans. So, I'm, I'm not going to try to share the Romans road because there isn't one, but you'll be able to see as we go through here that you can use it. If you've heard me give my two-week session on sharing the gospel, you know that when I share the gospel, uh, I typically use the book of Romans a lot, although I begin in the second chapter of the Bible, Genesis 2, and I end two chapters from the end, Revelation 20. Now, I don't go through every chapter, but uh, when I get to Romans, I slow down because it's a wonderful uh, book for uh, sections to share with someone who is not saved. And we're coming to the one of the first ones that I really like, which is here in chapter 1, right at the very end. Be, beginning in verse 29, he says this, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Why do I like that passage? Well, when you're talking to someone about sin, you've got to really get in there, and I hate to say it, get down and dirty, as they say. If you just talk about sin in theory, it's not going to hit home. You know, as long as you're sharing, you know, it says in the Bible, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that includes you. And they say, oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. It hasn't hit home. It's not going to hit home until the Holy Spirit has had an opportunity to really show them their sin personally right here until you've seen that you don't feel the need to be saved you understand and a great place to do that is in places like this now there are others for example mark 7 where the lord jesus talked about cleansing the uh out outside of the cup and so on but i like this one for a number of reasons first of all there's lots of just ordinary sin here <laughs> plain old vanilla flavored sin did you notice that backbiters Deceit. You ever deceived anybody? Who here has never deceived anybody? Put you on the spot, didn't I? Well, <laughs> join the crowd. Everyone at some time in their life has led someone else to believe something that's not true. We've all done that. That's why I like this list. You turn here with an unsafe person and you say, let's think about this now, deceit. Have you ever deliberately, maybe because you've done something, or there's something you just don't want somebody else to know. Led them to believe something that's not true, so they'll believe the lie. And they'll sit there and squirm a little bit, but they'll have to be, honestly say, yeah, like you did. Don't feel bad. We're all in the same boat, okay? <laughs> Take them one at a time. Whispers. Some of the verses say gossip. You ever? No. I can't look at anybody directly. Every time I look somebody in the alley, I start grinning. I'll have to keep moving my head here. Gossip. Who here has never spoken about somebody behind their back and said something they shouldn't have said about them? Never done that. Okay, you're just too bashful. That's, that's it, isn't it? We've all done it, haven't we? Gossip. Um, strife. Well, it was their fault. They started it. You know what they did? I had every right to get angry and argue and fight with them. God hates it. Do you know that? You know what it says about Jesus, who when he was reviled, did what? He reviled not again. 
That's right. He turned the other cheek. That's the standard, you see. <laughs> That's the problem. It's perfection. It's the life of God. Uh, okay, let's not let the young people get away. Disobedient to parents. How many children here this morning have never, ever disobeyed their parents? Come on, stand up. We're going to give you a medal. Come on. Remember, we have witnesses. Can't say it, can you? Now, you, you can try to justify it, which we do, don't we? Whenever we sin, we justify it, don't we? You know, I had a reason for doing it. I didn't feel good. They did such and such, you know. I was in a bad mood. I don't care how you slice it. It's sin and God hates it. Now, I want you to notice something. First of all, notice this. Buried right in the middle of this list, not at the beginning, which we would think God would give it as a prominent place, nor at the end, but right in the middle, verse 29 is a standout. Did you notice that? What is it? Murder. Murder. Now we, we do, we would, not, if we made a list, would we put murder right wedged between, um, strife and envy? No, we would not. In fact, we'd have it in a separate category, wouldn't we? That's a crime for which you go to prison. Do you go for, to prison for gossiping? No. But God has the audacity to put it in the middle of the list. Isn't that interesting? The reason is, is in his eyes, he sees the heart. And now, I am willing to bet that every person in this room at some time has had bad feelings toward another person in their lives. Okay, a few honest people nodding their heads. Others looking away like that doesn't apply to me. Yeah, we've had bad feelings toward someone else. And if you think about the thought processes when that's going on, you know, if we think about it long enough, how we really dislike that other person, the thought processes will too often begin to uh, venture into the area of, boy, you know, my life would just be a lot nicer if that person just weren't in there. Don't we? Now, somewhere beyond that line, a murderer passes. And he doesn't just think the thought. He says, hey, not only would my life be a lot better without that guy or that gal, but I can bring that result about. And if I try hard enough, they may never find out about it. Now, when a person does that and goes out and does it, all of a sudden we're indignant. Oh, it's terrible. You can't do that. You got to go to prison for that. Well, if you were to take a photograph of your thought processes when you were thinking bad thoughts toward that person and you took a photograph of the murderer when he was thinking bad thoughts about that person and hadn't gotten to the point of doing away with them yet, and you put the two photographs beside each other, would there be any difference? They'd be identical, wouldn't they? You see. And God sees that. We keep it to ourselves, but God sees it, and he hates it. And the penalty for both at that point is death. The death penalty. If you don't believe me, look at verse 32. And that's why I like this passage. Because after listing these innocuous sins... You know, you talk to people about sin. You know what? Most people think it's a little worse than the, the cold. Sin, you know. Okay, well, everybody has it, you know. It's no big deal. What does God say? Verse 32. Who? Talking about the people who do these things. Knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death. There it is. 
not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And that's true. Some of the greatest idols in the world. Uh, you could go back to the list there and look at arrogance and pride. Boy, that's the trademark of today's heroes. It's praised as a positive attribute among psychologists. High self-image. I'm proud. You know? There it is. There's the bad news. You see, the point is we've, we've been operating on too low of a scale. We think, you know, you generally do things okay. You do your best, kind of like in school. God grades on the curve, and you're going to be all right. Boy, that's the lie you don't want to believe because it's not the way it is. God is a holy God, and he can't tolerate one little crumb of sin in his presence. And we not only have crumbs, we have whole loaves of it. In fact, the verse we memorize so much and are so familiar with, 3.23, what does it say? All have sinned, and then he explains what that is. And do what? Fall short of the glory of God. Yeah. That's sin. I, I'll, I'll be the first one to put my hand up. I fall short of the glory of God. Uh-uh, that's not me. That's sin. Anything short of the glory of God is sin. Another section I like is in chapter 2, verse 3. Uh, as Jean always used to say, when you're sharing the gospel, make sure you close the doors. What he meant by that was there people imagine escape hatches as you're sharing the gospel. There's a way out, you know. There's this bad news. Yeah, I'm a sinner, but, 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 you know, there's this door over here that I can kind of squeeze out of. And uh, they're numerous. And so it's necessary to close them. Of course, one of the biggest ones is you keep falling back on I'm basically a good person. You know, God could not send me to hell. That's, and he's gonna, we're going to close that door in a minute. But one of the good door closers is here in uh, verse 3 of chapter 2. The door it's going to close is, you know, particularly, I think more so today, people labor under the misconception that, look, I've gone around sitting. I'm 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, and I'm healthy. I'm fine. If sin is so bad, why hasn't God done something about it? You know, I've blasphemed. Why didn't a thunderbolt come down and, you know, strike me dead? Obviously, it can't be that bad. He's addressing that issue here in these verses. Verse 3 says, Do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Yeah, the answer is most people think that. You know, other people may go to hell, but I'm excluded. I'm safe from that. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up or literally storing up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You get the picture there? A person is saying, uh, I'm going to be okay. You know, I feel all right right now. I don't see any judgment coming down. And what Paul is saying here is, what you're mistaking is the silence of God is the patience of God. What you think is the indifference of God towards your sin is actually the kindness of God. You're mistaken. And each day as you go through your life sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning and putting off Christ and putting off Christ, he says there's actually something happening that you don't see. It's a scary process. He says it's kind of like the layaway plan. You're storing up, you're treasuring up for yourself 
wrath. Can you imagine that, the wrath of God? You're accumulating it, he says. It's adding up day after day, and it's getting bigger as the days go by. And you'll find out just how terrible it is, he says. What a way to describe it. In the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You're going to get your payout then. Right now, the kindness and the, and the goodness and the patience of God. And what he's saying is, now's the time to do something about it. Not sit back in your sin and say, oh, well, obviously God's asleep, so I'll just worry about it later. You can't do that. Now is the time, he says. I like this section too, by the way, because um, people like to think that uh, to get saved, you don't have to repent. I don't need to turn from my sin. Just ask Jesus into my heart and I'm okay. Well, right here, he tells us very plainly, that this patience and kindness of God is meant to lead us to something. And what does he say it is? Repentance. That's exactly right. Yes. Okay. Um, well, the last uh, piece of good news or, or bad news, actually, I like in this section that I use, is in chapter 3. And um, it's verse 20. The, the big bugaboo when you're trying to share with people about Christ is good works. It is so hard for people to let go of good works. They're just such sweet people. I remember sharing the gospel with Bonnie Goodman, dear, sweet old lady, over at uh, Dayton School. She first visited our chapel, kindliest, sweet lady. And uh, we went to the gospel. She was very patient, smiled the whole time. And when we got done, it was like, okay, now what? You know, it was like BBs off a tank. She was such a sweet lady. She couldn't see her sin. And it was so hard. But praise God, you know, if it were up to man, nobody would get saved. I think it was Peter that asked that, right? Then who can be saved? Wasn't he that said that? And Jesus said, with men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. He was talking about salvation there. Praise God, God saves the most uh, wonderful, sweet, self-righteous people as well as the obvious blatant dirty rotten sinners isn't that good and uh i'll finish the story on bonnie goodman because about uh two months later after uh her going through the class on sbc she was in the middle of the lesson on the cross and all of a sudden bing her sin just came flooding in on her like noah's flood and uh we got this call at home, Connie answered the phone, and there she was on the other end, just blubbering. And all she said was this, I see it now. Jesus died for me. You understand what she was saying? Jesus died for me. She finally understood that she needed to be judged for her sin, and Jesus took her place. Isn't that wonderful? So God's at work, even in the most self-righteous hearts. Well, I love this door closer on good works. And I've said this before. There are some wonderful verses, the two classic ones, as you know. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. How many have memorized that? Lots, And that's a great verse, praise God. But it's got a lot of doctrinal baggage in it. By grace you have been saved through faith. Before you even get to the not good works, you're throwing out these $10 theological words to an unsaved person. They don't understand that. 
Now, I'm not saying you can't use a verse. Obviously, it's good. It says not by works. It's just that it's embedded in a lot of other... It's addressed to believers. It's written to Christians. Okay? Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Now, that's better. But with the point you want to share it at is when you're in the bad news. Remember, you're only talking about sin. Now, if you jump ahead and start talking about, oh, but you were saved by the mercy of God, you're putting the cart before the horse. So I, this is personal preference now. Please understand. Let me go on record. I'm not saying you can't use those verses. It's just that I personally prefer this one because it doesn't say anything about the good news yet. Verse 20, <clears throat> chapter 3. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Man, I love that. There it is. Nothing about grace yet. The word grace doesn't appear for another chapter in the book of Romans, except in the greeting, of course. I've said many times, when I share the gospel, I like to share it the way God presents it in the Bible. Think about it. When we talk about heaven, hell, salvation, our sin, what are we talking about? We're talking about crime and punishment, aren't we? People don't like to think about sin as crime, but it is. It's the breaking of laws. In fact, it's worse than uh, normal crime because normal crime breaks the laws of men. Sin is breaking the laws of God, right? And so I like to keep the, the verses and the illustrations in that context. And this verse, then that's right down the middle. This is crime and punishment right straight down. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And you say, well, that's going to be tough for an unsaved person to, to uh, understand. No, it's not. You can, give, you can explain it with a real simple illustration. What he's saying here is the law of God is not for getting people to heaven. It's to show them that they're sinners. Why? Think about it this way. Let's say you bring a guy who's a serial killer. He just killed 20 people, got the blood still on his hands. They bring him into court and they proceed in the trial this way. The defending lawyer begins to get out all the books, the law books saying, well, look at this, your honor. I know he's done these bad things, but look at all these good things. Uh, he hasn't parked in a red zone. Um, he hasn't littered. He pays his taxes promptly before April 15th every year. He helps little old ladies across the street. He goes to church. You understand? How far would you get in a court of law that way? <laughs> you get laughed out of court. The point is, when it comes to breaking the laws of men, when you go to court, we're not interested in what a good guy you are. The only thing we're interested in when it comes to breaking law, as uh, Angelo and the other brothers will testify, is did you break the law? Number one. And number two, if so, then what is the penalty? Because you're going to pay it, right? Or that's the way it's supposed to be, right? How is it we can come to the law of God and twist it around and think, no, that's not how it works. You know, you put the good on one side and the bad on the other. That's crazy. The law is only for showing us when we've broken it. And once we have broken it one time, we become law breakers. Okay? How many sins does it take to make you a lawbreaker? One. That's correct. Can you go back? Can you undo that? Can you somehow become a law keeper after that? No, you cannot. That's right. That option is now gone. It's out the window. What's worse is, of course, we sin all the time. Every day. 
Can you imagine? You guys talk about a guy having a record as long as your arm. Can you imagine what our record must look like before God? Volumes. And so the point is, the law of God is not there for us get to heaven. Go ahead, look at it. How have you done on it? <laughs> Miserably. By the law comes the knowledge of sin. All the law of God is good for when it comes to me is to show me that I'm a sinner and that I've broken it. And there better be some other source of help because if there isn't, I'm dead. I've had it. Well, uh, that's really the end of the transition uh, or, or the bad news. We have a wonderful transition. We're going to have to close with this. But finally, the good news comes, the gospel. Now, as I read this, just imagine you're hearing it for the first time. These words are earth-shaking. Listen to this. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God apart from the law, whoa, apart from the law, is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. I hope you appreciate the import of those words. You're looking at black and white. Brothers and sisters, you, you could just take those two verses, use your exacto knife, frame them on the wall, and you could hang on that to the day you die and you're going to heaven if, that's, if you trust in that. This, this right here should be printed in gold. We use red for the words of Jesus for some reason in some Bibles. This should be printed in gold. That's, that's shocking, earth-shaking news, and it would be to this day to most people on this planet. The righteousness of God apart from the law. That is, I'm not going to get the righteousness of God of keeping the law. I never could. But he's going to give it to me free. How? Simply by trusting, believing in Jesus Christ and what he has done. Praise God, huh? No wonder Paul is excited and uh, wants to preach the gospel. All right, well, we're going to end it here. And I can't have shared something like this with, with you as a group and not say, look, if you've understood what we talked about and you know you're outside of Christ, you're still facing the law of God. There is a way out, and that's through Jesus. Don't leave today, as Brother Bob prayed this morning, without trusting Christ. Let's pray. Father, how we praise you this morning for the wonderful gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the story of who he is and what he's done for us. Lord, when all seemed hopeless, the skies were dark, the clouds were hovering, we were just waiting for hell to gobble us up. He burst through and opened heaven for us by dying on the cross for our sins, being buried and raised again. Hallelujah. What a savior. Lord, we who know you praise you this morning for your wonderful son and the great, great work that he has done. We did the sinning and he did the saving. And we pray for anyone here this morning who does not yet know Jesus Christ, that this might be the day when suddenly the light parts, they trust Christ and they see heaven waiting for them at the other end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.